0: My name is Ross McElroy. I'm the president and CEO of Fission Uranium Corp. Um, Fission Uranium Corp is a, a uranium developer. We have the PLS project in Canada's Athabasca Basin in northern Saskatchewan. Uh, the the advanced project has just completed a feasibility study on it, and um, and so we're we're moving obviously the project towards uh, which which we. Believe has the potential to be a, a, an eventual producer. So
1: great, Ross. Thank you very much for the introduction. Good to meet you. Um, <clears throat> PLS Patterson Lake South. Uh, I sometimes think of it as Triple R. Is, is you know how did how? What's the difference between PLS and Triple R? Was it did it, it a, a name rebrand or a name change?
0: No, not at all. Uh, PLS is the project name, um, so it's really the you know the overall land package, which is. Uh, you know something north of thirty thousand hectares of uh, of, um, of titled land that we have. Um, the deposit name itself is Triple R, so it's that—that's really what the distinction is.
1: Okay, and um, the feasibility study is is addressing um, a small amount of the PLS project. It's addressing the Triple R deposit.
0: It, indeed, it really is. It, it's the Triple R deposit itself. And then, of course, the ground immediately surrounding it where the, you know, the various mine infrastructure will be, including the tailings management facility. So it's a much more localized area within the overall PLS front.
1: Got it, right. Um, so the feasibility study, uh, I, I will want to kind of drill down into the details, but perhaps could you just give me an overview of what you see as the kind of the salient highlights of the of that feasibility study, which came out last week, I believe. Yeah,
0: I think what it does is um, it confirms obviously that we have a very substantial, large high grade deposit, um, unique uh, in that it's near surface, I guess we've known that all the way along, didn't need a feasibility study to tell us that it's near surface, but it does give us uh, certain advantages over a number of other projects. But the the feasibility study itself, I think is is confirmation of all the steps we've taken along the way since discovery, building up up the deposit, delineating it. We've actually brought in more resources into the um, feasibility study itself than where we had done the, the previous um, economic study, the pre feasibility study back in 2019. So it's, it's growing with, in respect to that. Uh, I think the feasibility is obviously a higher level of, of data and information um, on the overall resource, on the overall mine plan, uh, a better estimate on, on costs and, uh, you know, and 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 the whole plan going forward. So.
1: Let's let's focus on the costs because we all know that we're living through a period of high inflation. Uh, when you look at the Q4 numbers from the major um, operators, they're seeing capex up twenty percent, operating costs up twenty percent. This is on top of what they were expecting. Um, how did you? How did you? Uh, the, the feasibility study was done by Tetra Tech. Um, how did they price this? Because concrete, steel fuel, there's so much fluctuation in prices. It must have been a difficult thing to get a proper baseline on.
0: Well, not only fluctuation, but exactly what you highlighted, inflationary uh, environment that we've been in the last couple of years. I mean, the number of those costs of those items um, are up substantially, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, 100%. um, You know, uh, and I think that um, where that's reflected, uh, a lot of the inflationary numbers are even are in our opex, of which we'll we'll discuss later. The cash operating costs, um, which have have gone up, and I think there you you can obviously see inflation at work in those numbers. Um, on the capex side, we were uh, you know very um, pleased with the results between you know over the last three years. We were actually um, slightly, I mean marginally less than what we had. Um, is uh, figured in the in the pre feasibility study, um, which so you know I mean it's, it's essentially considered flat, being between where we were in 2019, and where we are now, in an inflationary environment. That tells you that we've made some substantial changes and improvements, um, you know, between the pre feasibility study and and now. And uh, you know, I think that um,
1: yes, but no in I what area? Because I, mean, I I saw that there's the that the uh, capex hadn't changed and yet I know that there's been huge inflation so you must have reconfigured somehow.
0: Yeah well there's a few things I think that, that stand out. Um, one of the things uh, highway 955 that, that runs up from the north and, and uh, just to the side of or sorry runs up from the south and to the, the side of our deposit area that basically connects um, our project area with the major uh, centers you know population centers to the south Um, in the pre-feasibility study, we were going to reroute the highway around the, uh, uh, once you got up near the tailings management facility, we were going to loop the highway around, um, back around the project area. And, uh, so it did, uh, require, you know, a few kilometers of rerouting a highway. That's something we've eliminated and saw that as, um, a necessary step, um right away when we began our feasibility study. So in, in other words, we'll leave the highway, plan to leave the highway where it is and rather control uh, mine, mine equipment, trucks and that, uh, you know at the intersections. Um, it's just, a, it's a easy, smart fix that, that uh, actually saved an awful lot of money. So no more rerouting the highway. We're still keeping the, the infrastructure where it was it's just that it'll be controlled access across crosser. It's not a highly uh, trafficked area on, on the highway, anyways. You know, it's considered a highway, but um, you know, you might have one vehicle, one recreation vehicle cross it. You know, maybe once or twice a day. I mean, it's not exactly a high use highway that way. Um, yeah. That's that was one area that uh, I think there's some immediate savings in. Um, we've changed the uh, the decline. Um, I guess the access point. You know, it was um, coming in at a different angle. It, you know, there's just uh, there's some some changes in that, that that I think were you know just in the overall uh, decline design that that managed to save us some money. Some other parts too, I think that are quite notable. Um, we in the pre-feasibility study, we we were actually buying all of the mine equipment, so you know they were capital outlay of cash. So um, we're now, uh, you know, looking at leasing equipment as opposed to buying it. So, you know, you you are taking a number of those costs and moving it, you know, further into the operations side rather than initial capex at the out, at the outlay. So, I think, you know, those are, are some of the key elements in there. But there were a number of of efficiencies. But yeah, you're right. We were working also not only changing things, designing it, but you've also had the inflationary uh, pressures working at you and it, the, the end result for us was really, uh, you know, staying about the same. So I think that was uh, an extremely positive change between the, the pre-feasibility and feasibility. Uh,
1: I saw the, the sustaining CapEx increased um, quite substantially. You know, it's, it's, it's quite a higher um, – it, it, it goes from 200 and something to 300 and close to $400 million in, in sustaining CapEx. It, 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 is that part of that kind of um, the, 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 the same – concept as the leasing, you know, you're just, you're deferring, deferring costs where possible to reduce the upfront cost. Indeed. I think that
0: that's a, that's a pretty, uh, good observation. I think it's, that that's correct. So, you know, in essence, I mean, if you looked at, at both the, um, the initial capex and sustaining, you know, we're slightly higher, uh, on the feasibility study than, than the, the pre-feasibility study. So, um, you know that that's uh, that's that's been the, the net result, but the initial capex is what's really you know been able to substantially, almost more or less, stay the same. So, combine the two, we're slightly slightly above where we were in the pre-fees, and that's really the you know the function of uh, of inflation, but to a marginal um, effect rather than, you know, the 30 or 40% that a lot of people were expecting.
1: And did you use uh, $65 per pound uranium in the pre-feasibility study as well as in this feasibility study? Yeah, so we
0: use $50 uranium uh, in a pre-feasibility study. That was done in 2019. Remember uranium prices were trading uh, in the low $30, I think at that time, 2019. You know the the projections. I mean, what you're working on is a projection. Where will the uranium prices be at the time of production, or you know what? And um, and there's a number of uh, you know places that they get this this sort of information from the you know the trends of prices of commodities. Um, so, anyways, the the prefeasibility was done at $50 uranium. Well, we're already at $50 uranium. You know, three years later, the, the price of uranium that we use in the prefeasibility, well, that's the spot price. Currently in the in the market right now, um, I, you know I think the consensus out there by pretty much anybody that measures these things is uh, I think we feel six is sixty five dollars and higher. Um, I think we chose a um, relatively conservative number at sixty five dollars. If you, you know you look at projections of, of the price of uranium in the next five or six years, um, you know that that's really where we're. Where we're aiming at. There were other, you know, precedent, other feasibility studies that had been done um, in the latter part of 2022 using similar $65 uranium. And I think that, you know, anybody doing a study right now um, would probably be be using similar numbers.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Uranium's still such a, an anomaly of an industry, because if you did that in gold or in base metals, you'd get slaughtered. <laughs> you know, Picking, picking a metal price which is 30 percent above spot I mean it's 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 particular to uranium
0: it, it is but you know I bet it it is borne out in the in the overall um, trend of the prices and you know there's a lot of thought that goes into these forward projections you know supply demand um, equations where where's the uranium coming from and uh, you know all of the experts have been predicting the the surge in uranium prices and, and in fact it's got an awful long way to go. We we feel, um, you know, if you just uh, just speaking general macro terms away from the project area, just the overall incentive price, you know, globally for uranium is headed north of ninety dollars, a hundred, you know, somewhere a hundred dollar um, a pound uranium in order to put most projects into production. And we know the demand is growing in, in nuclear and electricity, and uh, it, it's pretty. Um, straightforward to see that there's a you know the, the overall trend is still northward on the price of uranium so we're to, to relate back to your your question yes we um we we are projecting higher prices uh at, at the time of the of the you know that we're in production and we've uh, chosen 65 and feel that's a, a, a pretty reliable um and airing on the conservative side rather than than uh, than, than stretching it out
1: Good. Going back to one of your earlier comments, you called it a large deposit. Um, I I know there's over £100 million of um, contained uh, U308 in there. It's not super large. I mean, it's not hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, um, Are you going to work on expanding the resource? Or, or is the next phase continuing to kind of work in and de-risk the current resource?
0: You know, there, there's two things that go hand in hand with that statement. I mean, it is large, o- over, you know, 130, you know, as a global resource, we're about 130 million pounds. The majority of it is drilled at um, at the higher levels. So we have indicated and, and built mine reserves of 93, 90, almost 94 million pounds. Um, there's there's substantial growth on the on the, the deposit itself right now. Uh, the the overall makeup of the triple R deposit is that there's five zones. They're all um, they're kind of I don't know, imagine them as pearls in a necklace. Uh, they're, they're similar depth elevation to each other, but they're on strike. There's there's five separate zones over around a three kilometer strike uh, length total. Um, the Feasibility study is done on the three zones, the three inside zones. Um, The main zone is the R780. The uh, smaller, in fact, the discovery zone is the R00 East zone. Um, What's new in the feasibility is that we brought in uh, a lot of the resources from the R840 West zone. That was not part of the um, pre-feasibility study because at the time, Three years ago, we didn't have the drill hole density to um, to have indicated resources that we uh, that are necessary for um, doing the advanced economic studies on. So um, but that still leaves the two satellite zones on either side of the um, the, the feasibility, the mine plan, I suppose. So we have the, you know, the uh, the 1620 East zone, um, which is about 200 metres to the um uh, to to the east of the R780 and then on the west side we have the 1580 that's uh that's just it's about 500 meters or so away from the 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 current mine plan uh, of the 840 zone so there's great um uh, there's still I think substantial growth in those to be able to add in those two zones into the overall deposit but not only that within each zone themselves they're, they're not closed off. The R780 zone is still open. Uh, it's open at plunge, it's open at depth. Um, we know we've seen mineralization several hundred meters below the the drilling, not a lot of drill holes down there. So really no resources to, to build off of at this point, but you know, mineralization is there. So I think future drilling and probably from underground workings would, would uh, expand um, our known mineralized area, but also uh, along down along plunge to the east it's maybe you know that comes in beneath the 1620 zone there uh, that's still open as well so and the 840 drilling that we we completed in 2021 really opened up that zone we thought it was fairly closed off at the time before we did uh, the additional 25 holes into the 840 but as it turned out uh, it opened up a whole new area where we think there's um you know a lot more high grade uh mineralization to be had at depth and uh, probably more at depth but working yourself down to the um uh, to the eastern side of of the eight forty
1: so they're wide open for for further growth in 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 your q four presentation you talk about a number of um kind of forty five uh drill holes kind of um a kind of a new program going into the two of the zones which you've included in the pre-feasibility, sorry, into the feasibility study, the um the 840 West and the 780 East, um, are, are those holes in the feasibility or study, or are those kind of are those to come to grow the resource? Uh, as in, will there be a resource update on the on when you have the results of those holes?
0: The majority of, and the results are all in now. Um, the majority of those forty five holes, in other words, forty four of those forty five were. Used in the um, in the feasibility study, we had uh, uh, disclosed a, a new resource estimate back in September 2022 that included all of these holes. And so it was that new updated resource that was used in the feasibility study. Uh, I'll note the one hole that wasn't used in because we didn't have the assays for, but really we're not didn't want to wait any longer. Um, they were it was one of the metallurgical holes. Um, you know, the the purpose of drilling that hole in the first place was for metallurgical uh, uh, material rather than just straight assays. Um, uh, but that was uh, you know still one of the best holes in the property that that hadn't yet uh, on the R840 West Zone. It was the fourth hole of the metallurgical um, series on the 840 that you know, and it produced. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but something in the order of um, you know 50 meters of uh, some you know almost 19 percent type material it was you know pretty substantial maybe not quite that high but it was um it was really uh you know uh, it had a gt i think of around 600 or almost 700 um so i mean it was, it was a pretty phenomenal hole but that wasn't used in the in the resource that one single hole isn't going to make an, an, an awful lot of difference for a, a resource and then the mine plan so it was excluded because we just didn't have the assays and wanted to get marching on the um, on the feasibility, completion of feasibility.
1: Um, now, as I understand it, the, um, these are structural kind of subversical um, features with plunges down um, along the, um, the, the the plane. Um, th- that resource that you published in early September, uh, it was mostly indicated with a small amount of inferred. Uh, normally, when I see a feasibility study being published, there's measured and indicated and there's actually there, there are quite chunky zones which have got a lot of infill which you can categorize into the measured category um i i i saw the jump that goes from uh indicated inferred to three million tons of it was it was i think um 2.7 million tons of indicated and 0.64 million tons of inferred and then it goes to three million tons of probable reserves um Talk me through that because it doesn't quite kind of, I I can't follow those steps.
0: Well, the, I mean, the the, the goal of the drilling um, that we did, the 45 holes, was really to do straight conversion from inferred to indicated. And that is just a function of drill hole density, you know, in in our case. In other words, we're looking to, in these types of deposits, you have to have uh, fairly close space drilling because a lot changes on these high grade deposits in a very short uh, distance, um, particularly on strike because they have a long depth um, uh, component to them, but you know very very short strike. Um, so we, you almost have to drill it at about 15 meter centers, 15 to you know 15 to 20 meter centers in order to have indicated. Um, very difficult to do uh, drilling that's even tighter than that. Certainly from from surface, um, because you know you're you're looking at holes that'll wander over you know the course of a you know a, a hole trajectory of a couple hundred meters, and you know to to pinpoint targeting within you know five to ten meters. Very very you can do it, but it's 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 difficult. Um, but I think we, we've had a, a very good track record at conversion of, of inferred to indicate it, almost on a one-to-one basis. So I think that's pretty good. I think it does tell us that we understand the geometry of the deposit quite well. And you're right, the, the main controls are vertical. The, the mineralization tends to be along um, vertically dipping stratigraphic uh, horizon. So you've got graphitic graphitic zones that basically parallel uh, different contacts in in there quite steeply and the the mineralization, the highest grade mineralization follows right on those fault planes there, bleeds outwards around them. But um, so I I think that was really, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the the drilling of, uh, you know, from inferred to indicated really was just getting um the, the drill hole density down to the degree that we're above fifteen meters between um between intersections and that's at that point um, yeah. statistics tell us that we're uh, you know in, in the indicated and in stuff that we can use economic studies on. So that was really how that changed.
1: Within the range of your semi veragam. Of course. <laughs> Um, <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, so that probably means that you're going to need to do some more underground drilling when you eventually get the development up, um, up and running. Um, but that's that's um, relatively standard. So, um, and your your mining method is long hole open stoping. You've got four meter uh, wide and twenty meter long um, stopes. Um, conventional process and you've got two ventilation shafts because of course this high-grade mineralization you need to uh get that air circulating and minimize worker e- exposure in uh, d- d- duration and time um uh, and proximity do you is there going to be any remote um working uh, you know or is it no no we don't we don't
0: uh, foresee that here this is all fairly just con- conventional underground mining um You know, and I think uh, a few things attest to that. We're in, um, you know, if you look at uh, some of the mines operating in the Athabasca, and I'll just, you know, use say MacArthur River and Cigar, which are the two present uh, operating mines. So there's a certain degree and quite a bit of of, uh, remote mining, I guess robotics people refer to it as, but it's basically remote mining without people exposed down there. But the rock conditions are quite different there as well. They're deeper. It, and both of those deposits are higher grade for one thing. And so you're always surrounded by much higher grade resource, but also, uh, rock conditions that are, um, essentially, they're not, they're not great on those, uh, operations. That's just, just the nature of the, you know, sandstone, um, and high alteration, uh, uh scenario. With ours, we're a basement host, 100% basement hosted deposit so um, we just by its very nature the basement crystalline basement rock is is, uh, not as permeable as it is in the sandstone Um, and so you end up with a lot stronger rock conditions better rock conditions Um, so from a safety perspective you know our rocks will hold up Um, we are able to uh, to mine in conventional conventional means, so we don 't have to do remote mining and with the air uh, circulation as you said in shallow you know all these things factor into the you know the, the us using being able to use um, conventional mining and and not have to uh, go on to the remote side
1: good thank you a really helpful explanation um Can we just look at the timing of what the next steps are, what you're planning uh, the next six, 12 months, possibly longer? Sure. Well,
0: now that the economic studies done, uh, you know, our next big step is on on the overall regulatory side. And that would be um, our next phase is to enter environmental impact assessment, um, which we get into in a meaningful way projected uh to begin that process um i mean we're already sort of doing it now but you really don't get into it in a in a, in a big formal way until about q3 of, um, of 2023 so we entered into the the precursor phase of that which is called the environmental assessment phase um back in the uh in the fall of 2000 or sorry in december 2021 and that um, that was where we filed our project uh, description to the provincial and federal regulators. Um, within that, we, you know, they, it's basically saying that this project, you know, we, it's advanced, and we continue, We intend to continue to take it to, um, you know, along along the pathway to production. Um, so within that, we wanted to complete feasibility study. Because obviously, you're ramping up on the uh, on the permitting regulatory side. And, and start to get uh, you know build our relationships with our northern communities. Um, so we've completed uh, um, so now the feasibility study is completed and also on the community side on the, the rights holders and stakeholder side we've signed six key capacity and funding agreements with our um, with our local indigenous groups that, that have, you know, claim to the Patterson Lake area, so I think there's a great deal of support from that, and those are all uh, from the from the local people. But those are all aspects that go into our next big phase, the environmental assessment uh, or impact assessment. So, you know, Q3, that's the next big step. That takes approximately 24 to 36 months to successfully move through that, um, assuming that. You know, you you, not too many uh, hiccups along the way through that process, Um, and coming out of the EIS or the Environmental Impact Assessment um, phase, you will receive licenses to build and and operate. So, our timelines, just looking at a big picture, uh, we get into the EIS later in 2023. Come out of it by 2025, 26, um, and, and at that point we're able to begin construction. Uh, and uh, as we noted in the, um, in the, I think in the in the news release, it's about a three-year period from construction until we're a producing asset. So towards 28, 29 uh, timeline before ores coming out of the ground, and, and this is a you know a cash flow going the other way
1: and um we all we all welcome those moments in addition to the environmental work are you going to be doing regional exploration in uh on on the wider project area um you know, have you got a budget uh, first of all what's your cash position and and how much of that you're going to be allocating to regional exploration or ongoing technical work sure so
0: our cash position um we were a little uh, about 40 41 million dollars at the end of um, 2022, so December 31st. Um, So, a healthy cash position, and that's with a feasibility study done. So, that's you know, we're we do have a a pretty reasonable um, treasury at this point. All of that money right now is being allocated towards um, advanced engineering, um, you know, and and procurement studies that we and work that we need to do uh, over the next two to three years. Um, I do, uh, probably want to begin exploration, um, work again. I think that that's very soon in the cards. No, I don't have the budget for that at the moment. Um, but we, I think 2023 will be a year where, you know, fission does start picking up on, on exploration and, and some of that can be just continued drilling on the, on the zones, um, but I also think that we've got a great deal of potential on strike on the Patterson Lake corridor. And not only that, but on parallel targets to the to the south. So, you know, it's been a number of years since we were really doing any meaningful exploration work. The last bit that we did re- highlighted a few areas um, to the south of the deposit that I'm quite confident, uh, you know, that this would be area that we could put more attention to and perhaps make, you know, new new discoveries. The the budget's not there yet, but we are, you know, looking at 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 doing some expiration '23, which means I probably want to raise additional funds in order to do that expiration. I I want to keep the capital that we do have right now towards the advanced uh, work on the project necessary in the permitting side. Um, So any expiration money will be addition to what we have right now.
1: Um, The La curve is is a powerful kind of feature in, in, in the resources sector, you know, lots of people take a lot of credence on it. Um, and they would say, look, many people might say, well, you've done the feasibility study. Now I've just got to wait until they do their, they've got their fine their, their construction permit. And then I'll kind of, I can buy in then, which is, you know, four or five years away. Um, um, what's, what's the, uh, what's the impetus for f- investors to want to get in now? Well, I think we,
0: part of what we were just talking about, exploration number one, um, I, I think we have you know, tremendous opportunity to, to uh, expand on our PLS project. Um, you know, the, if you look at just how deposits occur in, in this type of setting, uh, you, know, you can use the, the much more mature uh, eastern side of the, the basin where you see just a number of, of deposits that occur in, a, in an area. Once you're in a prospective area, you end up with multiple deposits on trends. We're starting to see that same pattern out in the western side of the basin. Um, you know, within a couple of kilometers, you start seeing, you know, bang, 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 bang along along prospective trends. We have so much prospective ground on our property and and already some you know hints that there's there's mineralization you know yet to be found. There's certainly large-scale hydrothermal alteration, which is your first key towards finding things. So I think the impetus there is that. We, there's still a great deal of potential success with exploration. Um, there's a, the overall uranium market, which just continues to get better and better and better, and as the commodity price increases, you know, these people development projects such as ours will um, continue to garner headlights, uh, sort of headlines, and um, and uh, you know, I think fall in in, in favor of investors. There's M and A activity um, that, that's starting to occur in this in this uh, business, I think, to a great deal. We saw a lot of activity, even in the Athabasca Basin, in, um, you know, 2022, uh, in a good uranium market, I think you can expect to see more of that kind of activity out there. So, you know, those are three powerful uh, uh, different reasons for wanting to, you know, own a, own a company such as Fission. And I think it's one of the very few uh, projects that, you know, that's in this development phase that that can be, um, you know, a, a major contributor to production uranium in the, you know, in, in, in the near future. So um, I think that uh, anybody that's looking at, you know, getting involved in the uranium sector, you know, you, I think you want to take a look at development projects. You want to take a look at, you know, the exploration projects as well and, and operating mines, but I think there's, uh, you know, there, there's room in there for all, all such companies.
1: Uh, I see you've got uh, about 50, 53, 50, uh, 50 um, or so percent uh, institutions. Is that a who's who of everybody who's already interested in uranium? Or, uh, you know, uh, is, is there more of an audience to speak to? Are you having any success with generalists or people who are new to the uranium story? Yeah,
0: I think I think so. You know, I, one of the evolutions we've seen in the, in the company just over the last, say, two to three years, has been um, a much more uh, solid and broad institutional shareholdings. You know, if I showed you our registry back in 2020, I think we were roughly 90% retail, um, 10% institutional. Um, it's it's much more balanced now, which I think is healthier. Um, I think we're starting to see more and more uh, institutional type ownership and, and interest in in the company um so you know i think that uh, but we are seeing you know that that tends to be more of the sticky money we'll say in in, in investors having institutionals in a development um size company like this i think is, is key but one of the aspects that we're looking at doing um we haven't mentioned here and i i haven't really been too vocal about it yet but we are looking at uh likely doing a U.S. listing um, this year in, in the company. And, you know, what that would would do is, is certainly broaden our investor horizon out there, tapping, you know, we're already listed on the OTC, but having a U.S. listing, I think, um, gives you just better access to to a lot more capital. And I think that would certainly attract more, more people. But, you know, I would say we're getting the whole plethora of of investors um interest by different institutions the generalists um obviously retail people seem to be migrating towards the 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 uranium sector but i think anybody that follows it closely um is really uh quite appreciative of the of the nuclear renaissance going on
1: right now and um and
0: looking for brand names in, in that sector to to own and i think vision is is definitely one of those brand
1: names. Uh, even my kids and my my family, my wife, uh, uh, have it up to here with uranium, as I preach to them. Um, but um, <clears throat> um, when you put out a feasibility study, you must of course look towards financing and building. Um, the, the the capex is one point one billion. Um, have you your market caps uh, 3.54, five us or thereabouts um what are your thoughts you know do you that there's quite often when there's a company which is trading at a significant discount guess um the market capitalization at a um a fraction of its npv there's a there's a conversation around selling part or all of the asset um and then there are also conversations around debt equity and metal you know streaming and royalties and you know what, what what's the conversation like inside the uh um in inside the boardroom
0: well, well first of all i think it's useful to keep to the same currency so we're talking uh on um capex where you know when we we're talking about the one point call it 1.15 1. 1.2 billion initial capex that's canadian dollar so our market cap uh, you know that's fine our market cap is, is around 600 a little north of 600 million dollars um there right now, which is still half of the uh, half of the capex, but it's not a, a, a third or a quarter of the of the capex um, required. I think uh, you know they obviously uh, this, these are going to be important years for us, two thousand twenty three and twenty four. Um, towards you know having an eye on how does project financing happen, and that can uh, take a number of, of different ways. Um I think there will be some of it will be decked. Debt- Debt uh, financing, some you know, a portion would probably be equity. I think we'll start looking at um, possibly forward. You know, there might be some forward selling. Uh, you know, getting contracts in place with, with utilities is certainly one of the potential avenues to um, to growth. And this is something you know, I think uh, we're starting to see more and more interest for utilities, not only uh, you know globally, I suppose, but um, specifically in North America. Um, looking to have access to to uh, resources in, in companies that they believe can can deliver. And I think now that we're done the feasibility study, I think that you know we can start looking towards some of those arrangements um, a little bit more meaningful. I think we were a little too far out even last year time wise and also from where we were in the project with a pre-feasibility study to get too serious with um, with those sort of conversations. but, I think as we move forward in 23, 24, I, I think that there will be, um, you know, starting to have meaningful discussions with utilities, um, and, and that will provide, you know, some definitely the, the power for us to be able to to finance the project, knowing that you actually have a buyer and how much they'll be paying for uranium. That's certainly one avenue. Um, I see it as sort of a, a, a basket of, of, of ability to sell your uranium, some of it on spot, some of it on... Um, shorter term contracts, some of it on larger term. But, you know, I think these are something I don't have an answer to right at the moment, but it is something that we're really going to be focusing on this calendar year and 24. So uh, look to me to, uh, to be, you know, putting my, you know, my work in rolling the sleeves up on on how we're getting through project financing this uh, coming up
1: thank you yeah no, i, I absolutely uh, i wasn't expecting a kind of a finished article it was it was it was simply just to uh understand what the conversation was and uh you've outlined that that very neatly um Ross, thank you so much for your time um i've it's been a it's been a a, a really interesting uh, update on the feasibility study in the company um i look forward to seeing how things progress and i very much look forward to seeing the exploration starting again uh on the wider uh, portfolio, because I think that that'll certainly um, spice things up. And it, it, um, as good as the deposit is, it's always nice to show that there's uh, scope for it to be much larger. In a, and the the famous words, "district play." Good. Thank you very
0: much, Martin.